0: The Interchange is brought to you by the Yale Program in Financing and Deploying Clean Energy. Through this online program, Yale University is training working professionals in the clean energy sector, accelerating the deployment of clean energy worldwide, and mitigating climate change. To connect with Yale expertise, grow your professional network, and deepen your impact, visit yalecleanenergy.info slash interchange and apply before March 13, 2022.
1: To me, the grid is almost like the untold story. It doesn't really matter how much innovation you have on generation and demand side technologies. You can't get there without a grid.
0: This is The Interchange, Recharged. I'm David Miller, your host. Welcome. Today, we're talking about the grid, The move to renewable energy has many aspects, with one critical piece oftentimes overlooked, the grid. Innovative technologies have been developed to assist with grid congestion and connecting more renewable sources while adding capacity and efficiency as we move toward grid digitalization. Two companies on the forefront of grid optimization are LineVision and SmartWires. Today, we are joined by Hudson Gilmore from LineVision and Peter Wells from SmartWires. Peter, Hudson, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. Really looking forward to this conversation, David. Hi, thanks for having
0: us. Hudson Gilmer is CEO and co-founder of LineVision. Hudson brings over a decade of experience developing innovative data and analytic services for the energy industry. Prior to his work with LineVision, Hudson served in roles as vice president of commercial markets at Genscape and led commercial teams at EnvaPower and EnerNoc. Hudson has an MBA from MIT's Sloan School of Business. So, Hudson, why don't we start with you? Um, give us a, a little information about Line Vision, what it is that you guys do, where you operate. Happy to.
2: So Line Vision is helping our utility clients solve some of the most pressing obstacles to a clean energy transition. What we do is to provide real-time monitoring, alerting, and analytical tools that are needed to increase capacity on our existing grid, improve its resilience, and improve the safety of the grid by providing insights into asset health. So here in the U.S., as as your listeners may know, the backbone of the grid is about 600,000 miles of high-voltage overhead lines, and these are are delivering the cleanest, most efficient power from wherever it's generated to where it's needed. What may surprise your listeners is that today, nearly all these lines are not monitored. So what Line Vision does by adding relatively low-cost sensors to these lines is unlock up to 40% additional capacity on existing lines, which could be used to connect more renewables, more generation, but also by monitoring these lines, we can make the grid more resilient, we can make it safer, and basically protect against a lot of the severe weather events that we've seen in recent years that have caused some of these devastating uh, grid outages.
0: Peter Wells is CEO of SmartWires bringing over three decades of global leadership experience in renewable energy products, services, and manufacturing. Peter joined SmartWires from GE Renewable Energy, where he served as Chief Executive Officer of Onshore Wind for the Europe and Sub-Saharan Africa region. Peter has a bachelor's degree in science for quantity surveying from the Nottingham Trent University and was a certified associate of the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. Peter, uh, give us a little bit of an overview of SmartWires.
1: Thanks, David. Yeah, a little bit like uh, Hudson Smartwise is also very much focused on modernization of the grid. We're a power electronic based technology, so it's hardware and software. It's quite distinct and different from legacy technology. Legacy technology on the grid is is really probably 30 50 years old plus in terms of their sort of the core nucleus of the design and the innovation of where it comes from. It's heavily uh, sort of based around steel and copper, magnetic based devices large not very flexible all of which is great Uh, what the grid has accomplished uh, as an invention is incredible but it needs to go through it now into a different phase and what smartwise has is a power electronics so it's all silicon software with massive of course advantages on on size of of technology uh, the ability to apply it in pretty much any location uh, the ability to digitalize the grid understand real time what's happening on the grid uh, and basically, we're doing modular power flow control, as we call it. So we're able to look at the utilization of the grid and the operators, not as a company, but the transmission system operators are able to then move power flow around on the grid. And much like Carson was saying, uh, when you do that, you're able to really solve congestion problems. Equally, you're able to look at grid resilience, uh, grid strength and even harmonics issues, which are increasingly uh, a problem for the grid. and and deal with those uh, challenges as well. So it's pretty comprehensive in terms of what it can do. And we've been working on it for about a decade actually. So the funny thing I think is in many industries a a decade old company uh, would not be a startup but within the world of the grid, we are. And so it's taking a long time to get through tech adoption uh, but we're, we're, I would say progressing there and there's a lot still to do, but uh, but, yeah, we're very much uh, believing in the importance and need of the grid as a fundamental part of energy transition. And there's a lot of work that Hudson and I and others need to do.
0: Well, again, thank you guys for being on the call, because I think it's definitely a timely discussion. I mean, there's been an increased focus on the grid, not only from a, a reliability and efficiency standpoint, but also the connection of a growing renewable source energy. There was a Princeton study that was recently done that said the U.S. transmission uh, would need to grow by approximately 60% by 2030 and as much as triple by 2050 to help with the increasing amount of renewable sources uh, and getting that power to where it's needed. And these technologies obviously help with that. So could you give us a little bit more in terms of how what you provide can help achieve some of those goals into 2030 and 2050?
2: Yeah, I can start, David. Um, I think that's a great study that you referenced, and it just shows the magnitude of the challenge. Uh, So what that study really says is that as we seek to meet uh, decarbonization goals and connect more renewables to the grid, um, but also electrify a lot of loads like transportation and buildings and industry, um, we're going to need a much larger grid. So we've built out our current grid over the last 100, maybe 150 years. And and there's basically been one model for how we do it. It's using large capital intensive projects to either build new lines or upgrade existing lines. Those projects take five to 10 or even more years. And we've seen recently just how difficult it is. Nobody wants a new power line in their backyard. And so what, what these technologies represent, which we broadly call grid enhancing technologies is, deploying advanced sensors, advanced analytics, and power, power electronics to get more out of the existing grid. Um, and, uh, and frankly, we think there's no way we get to these ambitious goals of a zero net carbon grid by 2035 without the low hanging fruit of first deploying these technologies to get the most out of the existing grid. Yes, we'll need to build new lines, of course we will. But the timeframes and the cost involved are simply so high that we ought to start first by optimising the grid we've already built.
1: It's really interesting. You know, when you look at energy transition, it's a pretty broad space when you really think about what's involved there, both on the, I would say, the electricity generation side and and the emergence of renewable, which is very much now more of a mainstay technology. Equally, I'd say on the demand side, you've got, of course, e-mobility and Hudson mentioned sort of sector coupling or electrification, meaning how do we get this electrification into industrial process, building, heating, cooling and, and so on. To me, the grid is is almost like the untold story. You know, it it doesn't really matter how much innovation you have on generation and, and demand side technologies, if the grid isn't able to cope with what is a massive paradigm shift in terms of where generation is coming from and when, uh, and how the demand side is also evolving and changing. And so Anyway you slice and dice what we need to do uh, to really achieve the goals that are set out by countries all over the world to achieve net zero you can't get there without a grid that is digitalized meaning it's a platform that enables all of this innovation on generation and demand to be unleashed uh, and so it's a it's amazing to me. It's really this untold story that nobody seems to think about the grid other than the people in the grid <laughs> that, are, that are painfully aware of the challenges that need to be solved. And, and so it's great to have a conversation on it. And it's really, I think it's really nice to see more and more mainstream media beginning to pick up on, on what's needed to be done with the grid. So, and, and there's so much that, of course, we can do with grid enhancing technology.
2: Just to put some numbers behind that, currently, there are hundreds of large-scale wind and solar generation projects that are stuck. Uh, They're stuck in what's called the interconnection queue. Basically, they're waiting to be connected to the grid, and they represent over a 1,000 gigawatts of generating capacity and hundreds of thousands of jobs and also have the potential to just provide much more resilience, much more surplus capacity on the grid to withstand some of these severe uh, weather events. So there was a study called Unlocking the Queue that was done by the Brattle Group about six months ago that showed that these grid enhancing technologies collectively, and I want to stress that that they're very complementary technologies, can more than double the amount of renewables that can be connected to the existing grid. And if deployed on a national basis, they can deliver about $5 billion in consumer savings. So that's savings to households, it's more competitiveness to industry, and have a payback period of around six months. And then, of course, you've got all the jobs that are tied up in those projects that are stuck in the interconnection queue. So again, you know, this, if we think about how do we really make progress on reaching these energy transition goals, this is a great place to start.
0: This technology has been around, or at least some of this technology has been around for a while, and its deployment just seems like a no-brainer uh, to me. Obviously, being able to get more out of what you have and not having to build additional transmission lines. And then you have the whole energy transition aspect to it as well. What are the roadblocks that, that you have faced or continue to face for the deployment of the grid enhancing technologies?
1: David, first and foremost, it, it, I think we should, it's very fair to recognize that our customer base uh, transmission system operators and, and, and maybe some extent on the distribution side as well, because this technology equally plays, um, there in terms of the broader definition of GET. They do run at the end of the day mission critical assets, right? And, and, and these assets are providing you know, electricity to industry and hospitals, uh, residential bases, like everywhere where you, you can't afford to take risks with that. So whenever you're introducing what can be a new breakthrough technology, It has to be taken in, I would say, a fairly methodical and and sort of sequential approach in terms of understanding what is this technology, how does it operate, how do we deploy it, how do we integrate it with existing energy management systems. There's a lot to, I would say, to work through and think about. So just to recognize that that process, of course, is understandable. I do think, though, at this point, we've been through now almost a decade, I would say, in in various areas of, of looking at pilots, running prototype studies, and then actually deploying the technology at scale now. Uh, and so we're moving, so I would say, beyond that sort of testing and evaluation phase into now, let's call it platform adoption. The biggest hurdle for me then in, uh, as, a, as a CEO, when I look at smart wires and where we are, we have a proven technology, we know it, it can do the, the, the cost benefit analysis is, as you said, a no brainer what's holding us up at this point. And I think to some extent, we can look at market design in the US, which is quite distinct and different from other places in the world. Uh, and the market design here to some extent does not necessarily motivate uh, a system operator to go for the faster, lower cost solution to a problem. When there may be bigger projects which take longer, that generate, I would say, more costs. And those costs, when those projects are approved, by commissions, those costs get put into the rate base. And so to some extent, I feel the market design in the US isn't, let's say, encouraging and and sort of motivating that next step change, whereas there are other countries in the world that have really done the opposite, I would say. We take the UK, for example, with their Rio framework that, that positively asks for and innovates modernization of the grid, understanding that these step changes will utilize the grid, the asset base that's there better, and actually will future-proof the grid for ongoing energy transition. So, so I think market design is a, is a challenge. And then of course, when you're adapting and adopting new technologies, getting customers comfortable with those new technologies.
2: And maybe just to add to what Peter said, um, certainly, you know, I'd, I'd echo the point that these are proven technologies. In the case of Line Vision, what we provide is is sometimes referred to as dynamic line ratings. So it's it's a way of increasing the capacity of existing lines, and that, as a principle, has been around for for nearly 20 years. And um, we're standing on the shoulders of of many who had pioneered that technology and have over 10 years of development both at Line Vision and at the company that that we spun out of. What I'll also echo is the comment about international adoption. It's a somewhat ironic point that these technologies have really been pioneered by American companies like SmartWires, like LineVision, but in many cases are being adopted more widely outside of the U.S. than in the U.S. But I do see significant changes. You know, even in the last quarter of last year, we saw the bipartisan infrastructure bill Put a tremendous amount of funding behind grid modernization and and specifically call out some of the technologies we're talking about here. And we also saw the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission issue a ruling called the 881 order, which starts to move utilities from very conservative traditional approaches on how they rate and operate these assets to a more accurate method that points them towards using some of these technologies.
1: David, can I just sort of build on Hudson's comment there, which, because I think the work that FERC are doing is really critical and important. And it's great to see the, the strides they're taking.
0: The Brattle Group study that Hudson, you mentioned earlier, it had noted that one of the recommendations was FERC adjusting the cost recovery model to be able to further incentivize these types of technologies into the grid. What else do you think from a policy standpoint would be kind of first and foremost on your mind in terms of helping to accelerate this by getting more of the renewables into the grid? Uh, What else should be done from that standpoint?
2: So we're very encouraged by the bipartisan infrastructure plan and and some of the specific elements in there. So some of you may have seen that the, the Department of Energy last week announced the Building a Better Grid initiative, which is putting $20 billion towards not just continuing to build the grid the way we've done for the last 100, 150 years, but really towards transformative impact. So figuring out how do we literally, really build back better um, using some of these technologies like power flow control, like dynamic line ratings. Um, and and that also, um, you know, I don't want to underestimate the You know, the challenge that utilities face in moving away from their traditional way of operating the grid towards integrating these new technologies, um, that requires making sure that they're not introducing cybersecurity risks. It requires changing methods and procedures for their operations teams. It requires ensuring that the grid reliability and grid safety is maintained um and, and dealing with data integration issues. And so the way that what's called Smart Grid Investment Grant is structured, it provides cost matching really to get over that initial hurdle of um addressing some of those challenges of first integrating these new technologies, which is going to be super important in in broader industry adoption.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that I guess I look at the infrastructure bill in particular and feel very pleased around the content that's in there. You could look at it and you could say the monies that have been earmarked for grid enhancing technology are relatively small amounts in in contrast to the overall, let's say, uh, packages that are in the bill, or even, even when you think about the trillions, frankly, trillions of dollars that will need to be invested in, in the grid over the next 30 years. But I think even saying that, there's, there's a really good chunk of, of money and, and logical thinking, I would say, around how to incentivize grid-enhancing technology. Uh, and it's enough to get started. And it's enough, I think, to prove out really what can be done and how powerful this can be. My lingering concern, and the thing I think that we need to stay really focused on is now how do we deploy? You know, because there is 10 to 15 billion that's earmarked for good enhancing technology, Um, massive opportunity, you know, to to take a look at doing something at scale that makes a big impact fast. And so my lingering concern is let's not go through highly fragmented, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of small pilot studies and and small scale deployments um, that will barely move the needle. But let's think about uh, regions and consumers, uh, generators, market participants, system operators, like where are the biggest needs? Where are the biggest opportunities? Uh, What technologies do we have at our disposal? How can we apply those into really well-designed and well-thought-through applications and have a big impact quickly and really prove out the capability set? And that's that's really where I'm focused mostly now with with our team is, is looking at, you know, how do we model those elements with our analytics team and really think about the impact that we can have quickly at scale and not fragment the value of what's been, as, as Hansen said, in a bipartisan way, what's been set up to be, to be leveraged. Um, it's a huge opportunity and it's not wasted.
0: Interesting. I mean, I mentioned earlier, it seems like a no-brainer. And as we continue this discussion, it even seems more so of a no-brainer. And Peter, you bring up a Interesting point that, yes, it needs to be deployed on scale and not essentially get caught up in government red tape, <laughs> right, is to be able to deploy it fast, efficiently, and not, not fragmented.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's, it's, it's amazing, David. I think about the, there's, a, there's an irony to the discussion, and, and the irony is, uh, and it may, be, it may be the case for Hudson's technology too, and I, I honestly don't know that, but I do know in the case of smart wires and modular power flow control, the nucleus of the technology goes back, as I mentioned, about 10 years. It goes back to the Northeast Black L. That if you remember, that was like 2010, 2011, yeah? And there was 55 million customers on the Eastern seaboard without power for four days. Not everybody for four days, but for up to, up to four days. And coming out of that event was an ask around, how do we not let this happen again? What technologies need to be developed and applied to the grid? to make sure we have a more robust, future proof grid that can deal, as Hudson says, with weather, but also I think an awareness perhaps the of the of the transitions that were coming. And so we've been through this and here we are again dealing with with challenges. And so I think there's an irony here that that the US is positioned well with 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 world leading technology. Um and we need to deploy it and not wait another 10 years <laughs> to have the discussion again about what's going on. So yeah, that's my, as I think about it, I think let's, let's get going. We have lots of capabilities across multiple companies uh, and different stakeholders in the industry. We can do something I think that's significant, that's really, really important for everybody. It's important for the economy. It's important for our consumers. Um, it's important for the climate. So we have a huge, huge opportunity. And uh, yeah, I don't want the red tape to to stop us from doing what we can and what we need to and, and
2: uh, you know i, I do want to uh, emphasize that this is happening uh so in the case of line vision we're fortunate to be serving eight of the largest utilities in the country and that includes national grid it includes xcel energy it includes uh sacramento municipal power district uh new york power authority and and a number of others some of whom i can't mention um, and and what, what I think we have experienced is this very deliberate approach to vetting new technology. And, and we've been through what we affectionately refer to as pilot hell. Um, but really now we're past the pilot stage. Now we're at the stage where, where these utilities are ready to deploy these technologies widely. They're getting reinforcing messages and signals from uh, the regulatory folks. This will be standard equipment. This is how we will operate the grid going forward. You know, I think with utilities, it tends to move slowly, slowly, and then all at once. And we're really at this tipping point, which is incredibly exciting, I think, for, for all of the grid-enhancing technology yeah. companies.
1: I just as you, as you said, and I, I, it makes me think about there, sometimes, Dave, the commentary a little bit can be the grid enhancing technologies, whether it's dynamic line rating or modular power flow controlled or, or grid topology, is sort of viewed as a oh well, it's a short term fix and a band aid, and you know longer term we need to do other things. It is not the case at all, and and I I really echo what Hudson's saying that you know Smartwise as a company we're doing platform adoption in the UK, we're doing platform adoption in Australia, numerous countries across Europe, uh, starting to push all the way down through South America, and so. It's interesting. We've got some bigger projects coming up in the U.S. this year, uh, which would maybe be that, that sort of turning point. But, uh, but it is a proven technology. It can be adopted as a platform. And it is not just a short term fix. This is really about the future proofing of the grid and how to digitalize the grid, uh, because it has to become that way. You know, you have to learn how to establish a platform that can take on board new generation sources to so the clean. And lower cost. And by the way, adopt what is pretty fundamental disruption on the demand side with e-mobility and other sectors that begin to electrify. So we have to do it. So it's not really about, oh, yeah, we will take some of these steps now and that gives me a short-term solution. This is about uh, short-term and long-term, because this digital platform really is the future of the grid and, and is the future of energy transition. If we don't digitalize the grid, we will never achieve the goals that we're setting up for net zero.
0: It makes sense. I mean, it's it's not just, like you said, a short-term fix. It's an upgrade. And I think the infrastructure here in the States, a lot of people would agree, is in need of upgrade. And it's not just building out more transmission lines, but it's advancing what we have. But it's not just for the short term. It is an upgrade. It is the digitalization, which, quite frankly, is long overdue. And the grid is just something that I think a lot of people do not fully understand. It's a very complex system with a lot of different people involved in it. You mentioned earlier how the technology was probably deployed earlier on a global scale or outside of the U.S. versus the U.S. What differences do you see in the U.S. versus uh, some other countries? And it relates to whether there's an ISO or uh, not a system operator. How do you see the differences?
2: So one difference that you touched on, David, is that outside of the U.S., generally, you don't have a separate transmission operator who owns and operates the wires from the grid operator. Uh, Generally, they're one and the same. And that can be good and bad. It can mean they operate as much more bureaucratic kind of uh, government entities, but it can also mean that they have to solve the challenges end to end for their system, for how they get their generation to their customers. Whereas when you deregulate the grid in the US and, and make a transmission operator solely responsible for operating the lines, but not financially impacted when there is congestion on the grid, that messes up with the incentive structure to, to resolve these issues.
0: Switching over to the financing side of this, in my discussions with a number of the uh, large global banks, they're very interested in the technology surrounding the energy transition. What are you seeing, and Hudson, I'll direct this to you, what are you seeing from a financing standpoint for for your company? I mean, how did you guys start? I, I know VC firms tend not to like to invest in providers to utilities, just given the slow Turnaround time and everything with that, but what are you seeing in terms of the interest from a financing standpoint, the funding uh, for companies such as yourself?
2: Yeah, great question, David. What I'll say first is just that the investment climate is very different now than it was three or four years ago when we were first uh, setting up Line Vision as an independent company. At that time, as, as you alluded, um, we we basically had three strikes against us. We were serving the utility market and and many investors categorically wouldn't touch us because uh, that market is notorious for slow adoption cycles and, and long sales cycles. We also have a hardware component. Um, we, we consider ourselves a software company, a data company, but uh, we also deploy sensors and, and that you know, scares off a lot of investors who want just a perfectly scalable SaaS type uh, software business. And the third point is that we're operating in in a part of the energy industry that's not particularly sexy. Uh, this isn't solar panels. This isn't batteries. This isn't microgrids that consumers can relate to because they're on the edge of the grid. This is the plumbing. This is the backbone of the grid. From an impact standpoint, it's orders of magnitude larger because we're we're dealing with assets that that carry hundreds of megawatts of power. But uh, but it also is is not easy to relate to for a lot of investors, and so it was a real struggle when we were first going out to the market looking for angel, seed capital, um, and and early venture funds. We were really fortunate to have a number of venture capital firms and frankly, folks who are are now on my board, who had enough experience to have conviction that what we were doing was important and understand that those same factors that scare a lot of investors away, make this an incredibly attractive business. Once you overcome those initial adoption hurdles, they become barriers to other competitors entering this market. And so, so now when, when we look at the landscape for raising money, frankly, I could spend all my time talking to potential investors. Um, and we fortunately are not in a need of, of raising a tremendous amount of capital right now and, and are laser focused on, on really scaling the business and supporting our customers' needs. But it's really encouraging to me the amount of capital that's moved into this sector and is is looking to uh, climate tech and, and grid modernization companies like ours.
0: Peter, how about you? What's been your experience from the capital raising standpoint?
1: Largely well, echoes what Hudson says. Uh, obviously, I've been with SmartWise for for a year, and so I can speak to the, to the history prior to that, but I wasn't part of it. But uh, what I would say is I think that SmartWires were fortunate in the sense that uh, early VC activity, and those VCs remain with the company today, was very positive in the sense that they they were able to find VCs that were heavily, heavily focused on, on environment society governance type investments. Things that really would make a difference. And those early investors stayed very loyal with the technology and the journey. When you're working on groundbreaking technology like this in a space that can be slow and tough you need some fortitude with your with your VCs, uh, and I think SmartWise was really fortunate that they had two to three VCs that came in fairly early and stayed the course and continued to put money in to the R and D and the development of the technology.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more focus on you know kind of the show me the money aspect to it of, of what are you really doing and, and not just issuing press releases. But you know, Hudson, to your point, it, it is nice to see that there is more money flowing into the space that is dedicated to green energy, green energy technology than there were three, four years ago. But you also have something else on your side that it's it's the longevity of the story that you have. This isn't, as we talked about earlier, a band-aid. It's going towards grid digitalization. And this is just something that not only enhances the efficiency and reliability of the grid, but also the safety and another a couple other aspects that really build out the story that, that brings these funds into the companies. The Interchange is brought to you by the Yale Program in Financing and Deploying Clean Energy, training working professionals to accelerate the deployment of clean energy worldwide. According to the IPCC, we need an order of magnitude increase in investments in clean energy to meet the goals of the Paris Accord. Rising to this challenge means deploying human capacity in the field at a pace and scale never before experienced, developing the skills, instinct, and abilities of clean energy professionals like you, already hard at work to accelerate the transition to a clean economy. With this program, Yale University draws on its deep expertise, marrying academic rigor with practical skills and enabling organizations across the sector to invest in people who want to meet the climate change challenge with urgency. This cross-sectoral approach and interdisciplinary lens fosters an informed workforce and powerful knowledge networks. And most importantly, it builds a common language to better understand the interplay of policy, finance, and technologies that support the growth of the clean energy sector. To connect with Yale expertise right from your laptop, Grow your professional network and deepen your impact. Visit yalecleanenergy.info/interchange and apply before March 13th, 2022. Peter, I'll ask you this question: Where do you see the grid digitalization by 2030? We mentioned some stats earlier about the need to to expand by 2030 and 2050 the capacity. What is your big and bold prediction on how this evolves over the next 10 years and, and where you see it by 2030? That's a tough question, David.
1: <laughs> so it's a good question. First and foremost, I would expect to see a lot more incentives and requirements and, and the push for technology adoption. Um, if I think about the next layer, which is then then sort of the customer base, I think for companies like SmartWires and Line Vision, the customer base will evolve. I think that the business model for the system operators today, and and let's maybe be as bold as to say the way they make money today, will not be the way they make money in 10 years.
0: Hudson, what's your big prediction of 2030, 2050? You're not getting out of this one.
1: (laughs) Um, No, I I agree with everything
2: that, that Peter said, and I would just kind of distill it down to say. I I think before most people expect it, this becomes industry standard practice. Utilities are are rightly conservative and and slow to adopt new technology. But if you look at how sensors have become ubiquitous in other industries, whether it's transportation or medicine or or even personal fitness monitoring, Don't bet against the deployment of sensors um, to provide better data, um, improve safety. This is what we're talking about here. And and it becomes, and, and I think for utilities, once a technology has been proven by their peers, by the industry, then there is a risk of not adopting that. It's hard to defend to your regulator, to your consumers. Um, why am I not using sensor technology to improve the safety of my assets, to improve the utilization of my assets? And so this becomes part of the line. It becomes part of just the basic way we, we build and operate the grid.
0: I mean, it's, a, it's beyond just an energy transition story as well. I mean, it's, it's the efficiency and reliability of the grid in whole. And not just being able to add the additional renewable resources onto the grid.
2: Absolutely, and and we see a new generation of utility executives who recognize that from a strategic standpoint, they they're being faced with a tremendous opportunity by electrification of all these loads, um, but they also have a responsibility to make sure that they're operating the grid as efficiently, as safely as possible, and they do face the threat of distributed resources where some customers may say, hey, if you don't get your costs in line, if you don't make efforts to make your grid more efficient, we're, we're simply going to bypass the grid. And, and so these technologies help ensure the relevance of the grid for the future and the importance of the utility as enablers of that energy transition.
1: Yeah, David, I mean, if you, if you I guess, take a step back and you ask about if you've going out to 2030 or so, most countries around the world, of course, have set goals by 2030 uh, on on their journey to net zero greenhouse gas reduction commitments in Europe and other places. And the reality is, in my view, you just can't get there unless you fundamentally invest and evolve the grid, because you won't get enough renewable energy coming on to the grid in the first instance. You won't be driving sector coupling, electrification, e mobility. You just simply won't get there. So, so it absolutely must happen. The interesting thing. I believe as well is the pace of change might surprise us too, which I think is what Hudson's alluding to, right? Which once we start to go in this direction, we might be very surprised by how quickly the innovation takes off.
0: Yeah. I mean, as I look at the overall energy transition, I mean, there's the thought that people have worried that the grid was going to be the bottleneck. Uh, but when you look at line vision and, and smart wires, uh, very, very complementary technologies with line vision being able to increase the efficiency and, and the capacity of the existing infrastructure and being able to to get that to flow into a higher capacity type of wire. And then you've got smart wires that's able to direct the flow in a most efficient manner and being able to connect additional resources to that, renewable energy resources to the grid. And just working very complementary to each other to make sure that we're getting most out of the grid. But we're also adding that additional renewable resources to it and reducing carbon emissions and not being a potential bottleneck, essentially.
1: Yes. And I think the other element, too, is that these technologies, when we think about it, adding capacity, resolving congestion bottlenecks, helping to deal with grid resilience, grid strength, uh, even harmonics uh, and those issues. The other element, too, I think, David, is that you're also future-proofing because when you, when you ask you know, what do you see in 10 years, of course, none of us really know. We, we have perhaps aspirational elements of what we think is out there. But what is very clear to me is that the great thing as well about investing in grid-enhancing technology is that you are future-proofing. And to some degree, you don't absolutely have to know how everything's going to play out because with digital technology or capability, you can, you can evolve and evolve rapidly. And this is, again, a big difference between what we're talking about here and the more legacy technologies, because they're so rigid in their deployment, they just cannot adapt and evolve in that way. So to me, that's another element, which is you can do all of these great things and deal with issues that are there today. But when you make those investments, it's a really good investment because you're also future-proofing and you could adapt and flex and continue to evolve and you haven't wasted a dollar.
0: Well, listen, I, this has been a very, very interesting discussion. And, and I know that the grid is something that continues to elude a lot of people. And Peter, to your point, it's taken for granted. I, I think a lot of people just say, you know, get the get the power to my house. But there's so much that goes on with it. And it has been uninvested in a long time uh, for various reasons. But it looks like the technology is there. Government is starting to come around. I think the incentives need to be done regarding the cost recovery model, to help further incentivize the adoption. But I do agree to the point that we may be surprised at how fast it rolls out. Because again, I go back to my point, listen to this discussion, it sounds like an absolute no-brainer and it could be something that gets rolled out and it's seen how efficient it can be with the grid and help with that. And it just expands rapidly from there.
2: Yeah, and and David, you asked about access to capital and and I just want to come back to that point. I I I would say, you know, that we're in a very different world now. That's not going to be a limiting factor on our growth, but what is a limiting factor is access to talent. We're growing rapidly. I'm I'm incredibly proud of the, of the team that we've built, but we're going to close to double our team this year just to support all the growth that we're seeing. And so I would just put a call out to your listeners. Uh, we're, we're always looking for passionate, talented people who wanna join us and, and, and tackle one of the largest challenges in energy transition. So shameless plug, go to our website, go to the careers page, talk to me, uh, <laughs> put the word out. Anyone who's interested, please uh, check our page. We're, we're hiring pretty much everywhere from operations, engineering, software development,
0: customer success, marketing, you name it. Absolutely. Well, again, I, I really appreciate you both coming on the show today. It was, a, it was a very interesting discussion on a very complex topic, which is the grid, which obviously we only touched the surface on uh, because there's so much to it, but we could spend a lot of time trying to get down to the nitty gritty and still not fully understand it or grasp everything. But I think your your technologies really bring something that that works well together and is, should be a focus area as we go through the energy transition. Again, reliability. Efficiency, no congestion, and getting more renewable sources of energy uh, connected to the grid. Clearly, SmartWire and LineVision have the technology to help accomplish that. And really appreciate the very interesting discussion from my standpoint uh, today. Thanks so much, David. This was really fun.
1: Thanks, David. Really appreciate it.
0: This has been the Interchange Recharged. I'm David Ban Miller. Thanks for listening. Join us in a couple of weeks when we shine the light on another innovative company making strides in the energy transition.